0: Father in heaven, we are so grateful to Thee that we have this privilege of being in Thy house in this day. Lord, as we look at the world around us and see how many are are unable to have this blessing, Lord, that they have to hide in fear of of someone coming to break up a meeting, Lord, or in fear of their own lives, as we can even see in the news, Lord, we have this great privilege and frankly, a responsibility as we would gather in thy house in this day, Lord, to understand thy direction for our lives and the um, the purpose that we are here. Lord, pray that our minds and our hearts could be moved from the distractions that would otherwise beset us and give us focus on thy word and on thy spirit to, to hear what is needful for our hearts in this day. We're thankful for the warmth of sunshine that we can experience and pray that that, even as it encourages us emotionally, Lord, could help to also focus us on thy word and on thy spirit, and that we would be able to take away a blessing in this day. Lord, we're thankful that um, Aunt Maria is doing a bit better and can be in a rehab facility. Lord, pray that she'd be able to get back to Uncle Dan quickly and and that he'd be encouraged and strengthened while they're apart. Lord, we're thankful that Sasha's making some progress and pray that you'd continue to work with him and, and strengthen and keep him Strengthen and keep his family as well, Lord, as they're still separated from one another and and watch over them. Lord, pray for Uncle Peter and Aunt Lily. Pray that you'd strengthen and and keep them, give them encouragement. Lord, pray that this uh, sickness could pass quickly and that they could be uh, restored to to health and strength. And, And Father, we don't want to neglect the tragic, terrible situation in Ukraine with not just the brothers and sisters that we know that are there, Lord, but for the nation in general that, that finds themselves in harm's way at every turn. And, Lord, we, we frankly don't know what to pray other than that thy hand would be upon them, Lord, and that there would be peace that could come. Most importantly, Lord, pray that thy spirit would be there and that you'd be honored and glorified and make yourself known. And so as we would look into your word in this day, we would pray that your spirit again would be with us, and for it we'll thank thee and praise thee in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask you to turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 9. You're probably seeing a pattern at this point with me as we've walked through Mark quite a bit. Um, I keep doing this a little bit nervously because I'm looking at the Bible class lessons and realizing I'm like a couple of weeks ahead of where the Bible class lessons are. And I honestly was looking, um, was expecting a different inspiration, was expecting an inspiration outside of this, this thought pattern, and it, it didn't come. I was drawn right back to, to Mark, and not just the Gospel of Mark this time, because we'll look, the, the passage that we're going to read today is about the, the transfiguration of Christ. It's recorded in three different places, in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. And I think we'll touch on all three accounts, um, but I'd like to use as the primary passage, the the account here in Mark. Um, as we kind of recall where we've been over the last couple of weeks or the last t- few times we've read through these these verses, um, the last portion we have is when Jesus was um, revealing himself to his disciples, and and we have this account of him asking the disciples who do men say that i am in chapter 8 who 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 are they saying that i am and they come back with a Eli- lot some say that you're elias and some say this or that and then he asks the pointed question but who do you say that i am and peter is the one that responds says that you're the christ the son of god this monumental confession that that peter gives and the, the building block or the, the cornerstone of faith that that becomes. And we, we continue on in, in chapter 8. This is also the spot where Peter um, gets rebuked. And I, I think I ended with this like a couple of weeks ago. He gets rebuked because he says that uh, Christ should never wash his feet. And it seems like a natural reaction. We would never want, if, if Jesus said, I'm going to come wash your feet, I would never want that. That's not how things are supposed to go. The master's not supposed to take that position. So again, Peter has a reaction that seems reasonable in the moment, and Christ has to rebuke him and explain why. And so I'd like to, just before we get into chapter 9, I want to start with verse uh, 38 of chapter 8. It says, Whoever Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in glory of the Father with his holy angels. And as if there were no chapter break, going into chapter 9, it says, And he said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that there shall be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Just pausing for a moment. Christ is clearly building up to the end of his ministry at this point, and and revealing more depth, and maybe not even just more depth, but more pointed details of what his um, death and resurrection is going to look like, what the bringing bringing in of this eternal kingdom, of the next dispensation, is is going to look like. And he's he's telling them that in that last day, that if you're ashamed of me, that I'll be ashamed of you in that last day. And then he looks at them all and says, there are some of you in the room, which shall not see death until you have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And we know that that's something that they, they fell back on so many times that they're in, in their old age. Well, I, I'm not going to see, I'm not going to perish before Christ comes. And almost imagine them looking one to another. Okay, well, it's, it's, well, maybe he's the one or maybe he's the one. Who is this among us that's going to be that person that is not going to see death until we see the kingdom of God come with power? So with that, I'd just like to continue in chapter 9. It says in verse 2, And after six days, Jesus taketh with him, Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. If you'd permit, well, you're going to permit because I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, in Luke, I want to read the passage in Luke chapter 9, just to point out a few, few additional things and just how this was recorded here. In Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 29, says, And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto them, Said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept in close. And no man, and told no man of those things, any of these things which they had seen. And then I'll just flip back to, to uh, Mark again, apologize, verse nine. And as they came down from the mountain, he, Jesus, charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another, what the rising from the dead should mean. Stopping with verse, uh, verse 10. Sometimes I think we are very, very hard on the disciples. I, we're hard on the Israelites in the Old Testament, and we're hard on the disciples in the New Testament with some of their reactions to experiences they made with Christ. Christ. We have the benefit of looking at these things in the rearview mirror, having seen the whole story, having understood the story now, having his spirit in us and being able to interpret and and, and decipher the story um, for ourselves. But they're experiencing this in real time. We've got Peter being told that he's going to be the cornerstone on this rock I'm going to build my church and. A few minutes later, a few days later, how many ever moments later, he's told that he's Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. The, the r- waves of this thing are, have got to be traumatic for them. And then there's this moment that Jesus tells them, tells the whole group that they should not be ashamed of him and that there are going to be some of you that will not see death until you have seen the kingdom, my kingdom, come with power. And rather than taking the whole group up, rather than gathering them together and and putting them in a boat and going across the lake again, he calls out three. He calls out Peter, James, and John. And what's interesting is if we go with this understanding or this um, assumption that much of Mark is based on accounts of Peter's recollection, then this is pretty much the only one that is a, a firsthand or as close to firsthand as we can get. We have Peter, James, and John that go up into this high mountain with Jesus. We can pull from Luke that this was at nighttime, that they were going away at night to pray. And it's just the core group. It's, it's the, the inner cabinet, the inner circle that goes up with Jesus to pray. And and as they're up there, it says that they fell asleep. This is another one of those moments where we go, how Jesus calls you out. He he picks his closest three to go up into the mountain to pray, and you fall asleep. My, My first reaction is to be hard on them for that. And even as I was reading this last night, I started to doze off. I'm sitting in my comfortable chair. I, I have these new headphones that are noise-canceling. And the sound, as I, I, play, I like to play music in the background as I'm studying. And of course, I put those things on. I click the noise-canceling. My, the rest of my world disappeared. And I'm in a peaceful place. And I think about that as the disciples. What more peaceful place to be than on a high mountain with the Lord as he's praying? I don't know if that was always his practice, but we know in other places where it talks about him praying out loud. And being there in the quiet of that place, the Lord is praying, and they doze off. It says that they were fast asleep. Now, I don't know how this broke down, the timing of it, but if you, if you take both passages, you can gather that at some point in that night, Christ is illuminated the way that the words are used, it is not illuminated from the sense of a light shining on him, but that he is glowing. And I love the the description, because they have to describe this in, in human terms, in earthly terms, right? It says that he was whiter than any person could launder him. Like the description is as far as like, if you could bleach him, you couldn't bleach these clothes any whiter than he is. And he's glowing. From the inside out, he's glowing. And while he's glowing... Two men appear. Moses and Elijah appear and they're talking with Christ. In Mark, it just says that they're talking. In Luke, we can read that it says that they're talking about his decease, talking about his death, talking about his crucifixion. And this is the part I wish I knew. I, I wish I had this detail included in Scripture. We didn't read Matthew, but Matthew doesn't say it either. It says that Peter woke up and saw the light apparently they all woke up at that point. I'm sure he probably woke them up if they weren't already awake. But they awaken and see this light. And my question is, did they hear the conversation? Did they hear what these three were talking about? Were they able to hear the conversation about Christ and his demise or his decease? And then secondly, how did they know this was Moses and Elijah? It's not like, did they have labels on? How, how did they know that these were the two men that they were talking to? How did he, not, how did he not, not think that this was Abraham? Why wouldn't it have been Abraham? And that's a rhetorical question. There's a thousand assumptions as to why this was Moses and why this was Elijah, and I don't need to get into all the details of that. But how did he know? Imagine, imagine yourself in, in this situation. You have been called apart as one of the, the inner circle. You know Christ, you've walked with him, you're called up onto this high mountain, and he is illuminated as you wake up. This you have to assume this is a dream. It seems too supernatural not to be. And you are sitting there in his presence, these other two men show up. Somehow you have the instinct from the spirit or the intuition from the spirit that this is Elijah and this is Moses. And somehow the sequence of those two departing takes place. Or Peter wakes up and and, and sees this, and and he reacts. What what are you supposed to say? How are you going to react? Are you going to bow down? Maybe. Maybe maybe that's what I would have done. Would I start singing? I don't know. That seems like a reaction sometimes when there's amazing things that happen. Peter, his reaction, because he's that kind of a guy that is going to be instinctive says we got to build three tabernacles one for Christ, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Three places of worship. Why why not? And it says that he's saying that he's exceedingly fearful. If you look at all kinds of different translations, it says terror, uncontrolled terror. That he was Completely overwhelmed by this situation, and his reaction is to say, "We're going to build three tabernacles so that we can worship." And Mark doesn't say it this way. Mark says it in the sense that, almost as he he posed that as a question, and then there is a cloud from heaven. In Matthew, as we read, or excuse me, in Luke, as we read it, there it says, "While he's speaking," so imagine. I'm not trying to give you the theatrics of it, but. So that you feel what that feels like as you're making this proposition, as you're making this suggestion that we're going to build three tabernacles, and then this cloud comes. This cloud that envelops them. Because it says they went into, as they went into the cloud, they were fearful, the other two as well. And from the cloud, and suddenly when they looked round about, um, and there was a cloud that overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son hear him If I'm Peter my mentality would say if 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 I just made this suggestion and then the cloud says hear him point being that my suggestion was not correct it was it was a correction it was a stop and listen. Just thinking about kids, how many times that happens in our house where there's a problem. Something comes up and everybody has an opinion. Let me try this and I'll try that and I'm, Ellie, yes. You, classic or first among them is Ellie always has a solution. And I want to do this and I want to do this and and... She won't mind. The suggestion typically takes a little longer to be described than daddy has the patience to listen for. And I almost get this sense that God is in the cloud and he's saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. But then what happens? You would expect after that kind of a proclamation, after that kind of a statement from heaven, that the rest of this chapter would be full of red letters. That it would be full of Christ making a proclamation, giving, a, I keep saying making a proclamation like I'm in Revolutionary War stuff, making a statement, making a, giving a sermon, recording the Sermon on the Mount, having one of those other momentous occasions where he gives out the Gospel message, in, in a new way, or another revelation. And suddenly when they looked around, there was no man anymore, save Jesus, only with themselves. We're back to reality. Almost like somebody pinched them, they woke up and this was all a dream, and it's just Jesus there. And so they're looking to him saying, okay, God said out of the cloud. Let's all accept the fact that this was God in the cloud sharing this, speaking to us. And as they came down from the mountain, I just imagine looking at him the whole time going, okay, what's he going to say next? He said, listen to him. What is he going to say? Where's the direction coming from? What's going to happen next? Jesus charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen Until the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Wait a second. Why is he going to be risen from the dead? What is this? What is this new story about the Son of Man dying and being risen from the dead? Clearly, they had not been awake for this discussion between the heavenly beings about his his decease or his death. Jesus, just having had that conversation, is is cluing them in now and saying, we're not going to talk about this. You've heard me say this a number of times before. You've heard me tell all these other people that have had miracles take place, keep it quiet. I don't want this to be shared right now. This is another one of those. This may be the most powerful thing you've ever seen, but you need to keep it quiet until the Son of Man rise from the dead and not questioning why they had to keep it quiet, not questioning what they had just seen, but questioning the huge news drop that they just received. They kept that saying with themselves. They kept it quiet, but questioned one with another what the, and this is almost where I want to put quotes on it, rising from the dead should mean. These disciples had the greatest blessing of their age to be able to walk so closely with the Master and to experience his ministry, to experience his, to experience him, the interaction with him in human form. So many times we read scripture and we want to know what was Jesus, what was Christ's tone when he said these things? When he's in the boat calming the sea or when he's Rebuking them for for something, is he doing it with a, a calm demeanor? Is he doing it with authority and shutting them down? They had this blessing of being able to re- to receive everything that we're reading personally with him, but because of that, they also had the responsibility, and, and maybe I can use the word um, burden, of having to experience these things in lifetime and not understanding exactly what the whole story was and having to, to live that out. We, we see, um, we can see accounts and, 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 records of later on, Peter talks about in, uh, I think it's in second Peter where he says that we, we, we saw his majesty. We saw the, re- the revelation of his majesty kind of recounting back to this, this passage in Mark, but at the time they didn't know what to do next. He just told them that he was going to rise from the dead. Well, in order to rise from the dead, you had to die. And what was that going to look like? What was that process going to be? We can read from just the passages just a little bit before in in chapter 7 and 8 that there still was confusion as to what his kingdom was going to look like, what his reign was going to look like, how that was going to manifest itself. And so they have this experience that we look back at it now and say, this should have been mind-blowing and, and life-changing. And yet in the moment, it was confusing. And they didn't know where to turn. They didn't know what to do with this. This has been a, it's been a struggle for me. This, this uncertainty, fear, confusion um, that, that they had. And then I think about our, our current times. And, and honestly, I, I really expected that the Lord was going to reveal some passage that would coincide with current events um, in this past week. And, and I just kept coming back to this, this passage here and then trying to figure out exactly how these things dovetail. How, how do I make this, how is this applicable for us today and, and where we find ourselves? I mean, we, we live in the Spirit. We should not have this same confusion of what the Lord is revealing to us, but do we not have confusion, uncertainty, fear in our day-to-day? There was a, there's a, a gentleman, a brother on Facebook, um, a missionary in Ukraine, and I wasn't sure what the connection was. I I, I have Friends, I think Uncle Scott is the one that shared the video first, but then I saw that my cousin Jenny did, and a bunch of other folks that I'm friends with on Facebook continued to share this same, this same brother's videos, and I was trying to figure out exactly what the connection is, and Uncle Rod helped me this morning and confirmed that this is a brother, uh, Scott Sobey is the name, um, that has was actually a missionary sent from, um, from the Akron area. How, how his Family. I'm not sure exactly how it lines up but um he's a missionary in the in Ukraine in southeastern Ukraine. And has been posting videos for the last week or so every day of of current events and what's happening. And one from yesterday really really struck me. Um I can't share it because for he even he says for security reasons he doesn't he's stopped allowing it to be shared, but you can friend him and then you'll be able to see it yourself. But just the premise of this they had really not seen any effects of the, uh, the war there directly other than supplies being limited. There wasn't shelling in their town, there wasn't any of that stuff, but they're kind of isolated, and they're generally around the, I'd say within 30 miles or so of that power plant, that nuclear power plant. Cutting the chase here. Yesterday, he posted a video that talked about how, call it two weeks before, He had been in another village with uh, the pastor of one of the churches there and doing a Bible study, and their family was there. The pastor's family, extended family, was there, some other believers. And he just got word yesterday that that pastor's house had been shelled and that the house collapsed. The pastor that he had been with two weeks before, had uh, his legs were injured. His wife was fine, thankfully, but his father-in-law, the pastor's father-in-law was killed in the shelling. And he, he's describing this as, this is just a few miles away. This is, I was just there two weeks ago. I just saw these folks. They're not involved in any of this. Um, and so you talk about uncertainty, fear, confusion. Talked about another friend of his in a village uh, just outside that is a a shopkeeper and was going to his store from one store to another to get goods from one store to take it to the other store so that there would be things to give to the people and in the middle of his loading his car they just start opening up gunfire and start shooting at maybe not his car in particular but they had to flee into the woods until this thing this incursion or whatever had passed then he was able to go back to his car and get the goods and and so again, the, the plea was to, to pray for peace, to pray for God's hand to be upon these people. And and I, I just kept coming back to this uncertainty, fear, confusion. What must it be like? And then in his in his, his seven-minute video or something like that, just very, very short, he says, and what I'm drawn to and what I have to remember and what I've decided to share. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. The poor cried. And they heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles, and the angel of the Lord encamped round about them that fear him and delivered them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. What struck me was that that, that phrase that, you know, in the not that phrase, those verses, that in confusion and fear and uncertainty what we're called to do, what we should always do, what is the only rely, or the only foundation that we have is to go back to those things that we know are solid. We may not be able to see what the future is. We may not understand exactly how the Lord is going to work and how the affairs of men will work out, but what we know will be true is being able to go back here and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Let my history with the Father be the foundation that will give me the confidence, that will give me the peace, that will give me the faith to see through this next uncertainty. And certainly, our uncertainty as we sit here right now is minuscule compared to what others are feeling. I'll leave it at this. Mine, my uncertainty is minuscule compared to what others are going through, here or there. There will be good. He, he ended his video. I'm giving, away, I'm giving away the whole video. I'm sure there'll be another one that'll be just as, as, as good. He ended the video by describing, trying to see, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, what was it that was good? What was good was that there was one shopkeeper in their little village that seemed to always have a line outside his door. Everybody else, is, is, their shops are closed up. There's nothing else to, to sell. But this one guy seemed to always have something, and so his wife went and asked. says, "How is it that you have some? And he, is there is there more that we could get? Because they wanted to to share with some of the the poorer folks in the in the town. And he said to her, "Yeah, there's a there's a warehouse a, a few miles away that still has a little bit of something. Let, you can come and see. I, I will. I'll bring you there to come and see. And so they went with their van. They got a big van, and bought as much cheese and flour and milk as they could. And then they showed them breaking this up and and handing it out. And the mayor of the town, the mayor of the town, as they were handing all this out, just burst into tears. Could not understand how God's people could, for one, find these things, and two, be able to hand them out. And I mean, we're talking those big old wheels of cheese. Chop, and the kids are breaking these things up and, and handing them out. And I don't know how many hundred bags of flour that they were able to get. And the, the point being is absolutely there's tragedy. There's families that are mourning that they've lost. That as, as they gather together for, for a prayer meeting, have shells falling on their head. But the taste and see that the Lord is good because there is still, His, His word is still there. His truth is still there. His people are still there. And in our lives today, that same that, that same peace should exist and needs to exist. Even as we see fear and uncertainty and frustration in our friends and our neighbors as they view all the things that are going on, what are we doing about it? What kind of hope are we portraying? What kind of peace are we portraying? How am I sharing that? It's It's... Beautiful and miraculous to see, um, to see some of the reactions. I'll, I'll just leave it, leave it at that. As to, to folks wanting to help and, and wanting to be peacemakers or just to be uh, um, compassionate in, in this, this time. But I just pray that as we look at situations that we can't understand, and, and we're, there's a lot of Peters in the world right if you go on a, any television show or any news media or anything every person on there is peter let's build a tabernacle let's do this let's do that let's have some idea on how to fix this thing reality is god is the only one that's going to fix it he's the only one that has any true understanding of how things will be better and so if we can go back and trust him bless the lord at all times have his praise continually in my mouth, if that is what I can be portraying, if that's what I can be sharing with the world around me, what kind of impact is that going to make? They don't need my opinions on how to fix it. They need my encouragement to look to the one who has already fixed it. The plan is already completed. And in spite of all the chaos that the evil one would place upon this world and inflict upon his people and all the rest of the world, we can still dive back into his word and be able to point them to where true hope and trust and faith and confidence can come from. And pray that as we would have, the, we have those opportunities, no question, just pray that we would take them in the days to come. And Lord bless these words.